And Lord, you have made us more than conquerors. And Father, as we come before you on the cusp of this day that the world has set aside, Lord, to, well, Father, just for their entertainment, just for their, see their hopes fulfilled, we know that our hopes are fulfilled in you. And so, Lord, we seek you out. We just pray, God, that you would guide us in the details of our lives. And so, Father, once again, we ask that you would make your word applicable to our lives and the situations that we see across this nation, that, Father, we would be able to enter in and glorify your holy name. We just lift up this morning once more, God, that you would bless us and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Mess with me, you're going to get burned. Mess with me, you're going to get burned. Hi, Bertie. How are you? Yeah, Bertie. Suzanne is back. Ed is here. I feel like romper room today. Oh, hello. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. We'll be starting at chapter 3, verse 1. And again, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Um, as I mentioned last week, I had the opportunity to share at our youth retreat, not this past Saturday, yesterday, but the Saturday before, and just want you guys to know, because so many of our church made a contribution through that, through the fundraisers and all, and God just did a great work up there, it was just a neat thing, you got great value for your generosity, and um, it was just a blessed time. We were able to reduce the price of the youth retreat almost in half, and so that was a good thing. Uh, yesterday we had a funeral service here for Kelly Lamick, for his dad, and once again, God blessed, and I think the family was blessed. Just all these things for people who attend church here, who support the church here. We have so many opportunities to reach out, so many opportunities to minister to people. So many times, though, these things can become unnoticed. So I just want you to know, God's doing a great work, and he's doing ministering to people just through, through your efforts here. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 1, we're going to go all the way down to verse 4. Paul, so Paul, writing to this young pastor in the island of Crete, he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, I'll read down to verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you blessed us, and, and Father, that you have brought us into your kingdom, and that, Father, we just pray as we have brought into your kingdom, I pray that we would observe the world from your perspective. And so, Father, may we have a heart of love and compassion that would glorify you, Lord, through all we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That was a test to see who would stand and who wouldn't. So everybody who stood, you're, you're good. Everybody who sat... <laughs> All the people who stood are laughing, all the other people. <laughs> well, we've been studying the first two chapters of Titus under the heading of characteristics of a Christian congregation. But at some point, the Christian congregation needs to leave the congregation here and go out into the world. And so Paul, as we enter into chapter 3, he's changing directions here as he moves the Christian outside of the church and into society. And so what we're going to be looking at here today is characteristics of a Christian citizen, how we are to conduct our lives out there in the world that we would see, again, God's kingdom expanded, that we would see people coming into the kingdom of heaven, that we would know and understand that it's God who uses his people to achieve those purposes of which we are part of that plan. Remember the government that the Holy Spirit has called us to, 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 to be a part of and to submit to during this time that Paul is writing to Titus 
Well, the leader of that government was Nero. Nero was very pagan, and Nero was insane. And you can look at that and think, well, it sounds like our government today. Well, there are a lot of parallels, but nonetheless, what we have to see is what Paul is commanding Titus here, the church here, and the church even today, how we are to respond in that. See, if we're willing to face reality, the government that we are commanded to submit to is as pagan as any other. Pagan just simply means without Christ. And so we look at people and we say, well, this is a good man. We try to vote for the best person that we can. The one that matches biblical morality as far as we can tell, not really knowing the heart or soul of anybody, but also understanding that, well, it's not the government so much that we are to honor. We are to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And government sometimes is going to be a help to the work of the church. Sometimes it's going to be a hindrance to the work of the church. But ultimately, as I said throughout all of this election, it's ultimately Christ who is seated upon the throne, and it is Him whom we serve. And even as we've sang, we are more than conquerors, and that we've read to the end of the book. And we know, regardless of what's going on in Washington or in Sacramento or even across the world, ultimately we win, or at least we've been given the victory through Christ. And so to fight from the standpoint of being more than conquerors is to fight from the standpoint of victory. And we fight from the standpoint of victory. We push forward in the face of all opposition that comes into our life. Now we have to remember that Jesus submitted to the prevailing authorities and he commanded his disciples to and he expects us to. He expects us to. And you can right in your mind start thinking, (laughs) Do you understand who the governing authorities are, what their agendas are? I've got Facebook. I hear all the news, some of it real and some of it false. But nonetheless, I understand what's going on. I understand how they are. But again, they're yet to be as bad as they were during Nero's day. Matter of fact, look what the Lord expects of us. Turn in your Bible over to Revelation chapter 13. It's not going to be on the board. Revelation chapter 13. Now, There are going to be those who go through this time of tribulation. The church has been raptured at this time, but there's people who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, this government is going to be run by the Antichrist. This is going to be the ultimate in bad government and evilness. It's going to be times that are just completely off the charts. What's the church to do? Well, what we're told in Revelation chapter 13, verse We'll look at verse 9, start at verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And so what the Lord is saying, pay attention to this. Pay attention. Now, there are going to be people during the time of tribulation that will have the book of Revelation, and so they need to pay attention. We need to understand, as we will not be here during that time, but understand the magnitude of which God commands us to submit to the governing authorities. Verse 10, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And the idea is is to do the work of ministry, but as far as starting rebellions, as far as coming up against what God is doing at that time, because again, why is the Antichrist in power? Simply because God has allowed him to be put in power. And so we are to submit to the governing authorities. Now I'll qualify that in just a little bit. But I have to be of that mindset. I have to be of the mindset. What does God expect of me? Well, the Bible obviously is going to tell us in the Scriptures, God already knowing how our government is going to be, what He expects of us. Never forgetting what our priority, our true priority is to be, and it was spelled out all the way at the beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power. Now, it says in verse 6 in the book of Acts chapter 1, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? At, at this time, are we going to be able to sit in this position of authority, and your kingdom is going to be established, and we're going to have heaven here on earth? Well, if you have that perspective, you got an improper, unbiblical perspective because it's never going to be heaven here on earth. Not, well, it's just never going to be heaven here on earth. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. We're going to have the millennial age, but there's still going to be evil times during, or evil people during those times. 
And so we have to understand, as that is not going to happen, what does Jesus say? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his authority. Where's our focal point to be? Verse 8, but you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So anything that hinders us from being that that, that witness, that worldwide witness that God has called us to be is contrary to what God's plans are. And so we have to have a proper perspective again of our government, the existence of the government, the dynamic of the government, but also what the call to the Christian truly is to be. Now we are told in Romans chapter 13 verse 4 that the government, he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so there was a time, we're kind of getting away from that as a society, but if you broke one of the Ten Commandments, there was going to be repercussions even from the governing authority. They probably wouldn't say you broke one of the Ten Commandments, but if you murdered, there were laws against that, and the majority of our laws were built upon the Ten Commandments. If you find a law book that was written pre-1900s, more than likely it would have the Ten Commandments written on the, same pa- on the front page. Remember that law, um, law office, not wasn't a law office, but there was a government building. I can't remember what it was. I think it was in Arkansas. They had the Ten Commandments right in front. Everybody that would walk into that courtroom would pass the Ten Commandments. The big controversy was they removed the Ten Commandments from the front of that building. But nonetheless... That's what it's founded upon. And so if you break the law, what we're being told here in Romans chapter 13, the government, he bears the sword. God uses him to execute judgment upon those who break the law. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, remember Peter? Peter got a little overzealous with a sword, lopped off Malchus's ear. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Peter, you went and you acted in a violent way. For a good reason, at least in your mind, maybe you had a genuine heart, but if you go cutting off people's ears, you're going to get arrested and you're going to go to jail because the governing authority, he is there by the hand of God and he does not bear the sword in vain. He just told Peter, if you take up the sword, you'll perish by the sword. And so that's not our job to take up the sword, maybe the sword of the Spirit, But we are to go out and we are to make disciples. That's what God has called us to do. And if you want to live a blessed life, then you have to fill your life for those purposes. God's not going to bless you just because you came into this building. God's not going to bless you just because you've read your Bible. God's going to bless you as you do those things, as you do come into service, not forsaking the gathering together of the brethren as you're continually in his word, but then as you do the word, as you take the word out into society, that's when God blesses you. That's where God empowers you. That's where God uses you for his glory. So right away, we see here in verse 1, again, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. Right away, we see the hard part of being a good Christian citizen. You've got to submit and obey. You've got to submit and obey, and that's a hard thing. Just looking at submission, what is it that you like or don't mind submitting to? I like and I don't mind submitting to God because I know the degree to which God has loved me, at least as much as I'm able to comprehend that. To to submit, I, I don't mind submitting to my wife and loving her in a sacrificial manner because as I do those things, I receive benefits in my life as well. Most of us don't mind submitting to a boss, at least on Friday, whatever day is payday. What is it that we don't like submitting to? Well, the boss any other day of the week, because I think I know better how to run the, run, run the business. Or, or, or a spouse who's ungodly, or a, a spouse who's not doing their part, that could be very hard. But I've got a good test here this morning. How many people here have a cell phone with them right now? How many people? Just, I'm, just, I'm not going to come down, I'm not going to kick you out. Okay, good. Just, just about everybody. Okay. Okay, submission. Sean, when he asked you to turn off your cell phones, how many of you, don't raise your hand now because I don't want to know, how many of you truly did? Well, in that, I want to look at four levels of submission. First of all, 
there are those here who didn't turn them off and aren't going to do it because you can't tell me what to do. Those will be the ones when, at some point, you'll be revealed. So if you didn't turn off your cell phone, I guarantee it's going to go off and people are going to look. Then secondly, how many of you will think you're submitting by turning the tone down to the lowest level? Well, I'm not turning it off, but I'll at least turn it down. How many of you think that you've done better by placing them on vibrate? I'm not turning it off, but I'll put it on vibrate, and they'll never, ever really know unless it starts vibrating. Woo-hoo! And then, again, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you actually did turn them off? We're a people who are asked to do something for a particular purpose, for a reason, but we always can have, not always, but very often, can have a better idea. Well, yeah, they want me to do that, but I'm not. I mean, you look at the cell phone thing. What important call are you waiting for on a Sunday morning? You're waiting for the betting line on the Super Bowl? I mean, what is it? I mean, first of all, most of you don't know. I found this out just before I came up to the pulpit this morning. This is very serious. Donald Trump signed another executive order. He canceled the Super Bowl. No, he really, he really did. Are you submitted or are you unsubmitted? Remember, submission is not really submission unless it rubs you against the grain. Uh, unless it is something. I mean, if you just want to do something, then it's not submission. But if it's something that you really don't want to do, but you know you need to do, or you're being commanded to do by an authority, then it's something that I, I really need to do. Webster's submission is a yielding of one's will or appointment of a superior to a, a superior without murmuring the surrender of the person and the power of the control of government of another. And so we are to submit ourselves to the government. Who is the statute of submission aimed at? Again, it says, remind them. Who's the them that are spoken of here? Well, the them, well, Paul's instructing the church. And so the them is them back then, but the them is us here today. And so again, these are things, especially in this society that is so vocal, in this society that you can communicate not only just with one another, but with the multitudes, and any point of view is spread out there, and it goes like wildfire. We've got to know and understand what God's will is here. Hey, Scott, can you turn down the heat or turn off the heat or something? It's hot up here. Now, if the word submission was not enough to make you cringe, then we were commanded to submit to the government. Now, the study of theology should always lead to applied theology. The study of theology would always lead to applied theology. It does no good just to have a bunch of theological knowledge without doing those things. Theology is the study of God as he relates to mankind. Applied theology is the function of the church out in the pagan world. Why? So that they would know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So God's plan is for us to not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, to come to church and learn about God, to digest these things and become God-like, Christ-like, and then go out into the world and display God into this lost world. Now, speaking of society, and we're looking at government and submission to government, we have to look at the degree of importance that God places upon government. There are three biblical institutions that have been established by God, that are ordained by God. First is marriage in the family. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. We see how, how dear it is to the heart of God that a man and a wife would become one, that the two would become one. We've seen it many times that as the two become one, they fulfill the image of God. I can't do it by myself. God has called me to be married. God has called me to be married to Terry. And I'm going to be sorely lacking without her in my life. And so as God has called us to come together, the two become one. And so it's God's intent for us to raise up godly children and through our ministry to affect so many others. That's what we've all been called to do if you're married. Secondly, in Acts chapter 2, we see the sending of the Holy Spirit and the establishing of the church. Once again, it's for the purpose of making disciples. This is how God, or this is what God uses to bring people into the kingdom of God. So he established the institution of marriage and family, the institution of church, 
but also, thirdly, the institution of government. Institution of government, so that the land would be unified. Now, why is that important? So there would be the opportunity for discussion and the opportunity for the gospel to enter into that. That's part of the problem that we have with the divisive country that we have today. That's part of the problem with all the ranting and raving that we had today. People want to speak, but they don't listen. And the problem is, if you're not listening, then you're not hearing. And if you're not hearing, you're not hearing the word of God. And so a discussion, debate is essential because that's what the gospel is designed for. The the, the gospel, the, the word of God as a whole, it invites you to come and to scrutinize it. But it should be an honest scrutinization of the word of God. Show me. Our kids right now, they're learning about a worldwide flood that the flood truly did encompass the whole world. What if the flood did not encompass the whole world? Then the word of God is wrong, because it specifically says that it did. Our kids are learning to give a reason for the hope that is within them. When they go into the classroom, that they know the truth, and they're prepared to be able to stand for the truth. And so, again, debate is good. All of these things are good. Government within itself is good. It's been defiled by man, but nonetheless it is kept by God. We see the first time when it was instituted, it was literally right off the boat. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, it says, Surely for your life blood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. So the idea here is, is through the violation of God's laws and all, He's going to use mankind to bring that person to justice. And what you have here is is the advent of government. The advent of government, again, that is going to be so essential for God's reasons and God's purposes. And so each of those three institutions, they offer opportunity. Now we have an opportunity to obey the law. And if we obey the law, there's going to be order and there's going to be opportunity. If we disobey the order, then there's going to be chaos. Look at the United States of America. United States of America, we call ourselves a free nation, but we're not absolutely free. Try running red lights as you go home today. If you violate the law, you will have absolutely no freedom. We are designed to be a country that has restrictions upon our freedoms. Restrictions that are good so that people will be able to cohabitate together. Now, that's essential. Now, if you have absolute freedom, you've got anarchy. It's kind of what we're seeing in this nation today. Everybody's doing what is right in their own sight. Now, if you have a government that has overly stepped its bounds with its restrictions, then you have fascism or communism or whatever it might be. And so what we need to look at is biblically the government that God has established in this nation, and we go back to the advent of that, and we try to mimic that as best that we can. Unfortunately, we've gotten further and further and further away from that, and it's going to continue to go that, that, that far until the Antichrist comes. But nonetheless, regardless of what the government is, I need to continue to move forward in my Christian life. Now, as I move forward in my Christian life, what is it that I'm going to spend my time with? Am I going to spend my time complaining about the government? Or am I going to spend my time living and giving the gospel? If I'm complaining about the government, I'm not living and giving the gospel. If I'm hindering hindering the gospel, then I'm really contrary to God and what I'm doing. And so that's what God is telling the, the church of that day. And it was a lot tougher then It's that don't make that to be your priority. Make your priority to be the gospel. And what I see with the church is as the church makes the priority the gospel, God keeps them. God uses them, and God is glorified through them. And the proof in that is is that the harder the times, seems like the more the church flourished. And as times became easier, the more lax the church has become. And so maybe it will be good if, God allows that which is contrary to him to be seated in a place of authority that we would pull up our bootstraps and that we would truly get to work. 
And so what I want to finish out the remainder of our study here today is, is, is seven Christian duties in our ministry, our ministry within a pagan culture. And so first, as we've seen here, is number one, we see in verse one, is to be subject to rulers and authorities. Now, there are four prevailing views on government today that, that exist out there. The first one is the separation of God from state. This is an unbiblical, isolationalist view. And I'm not saying of the unbeliever isolating God. I'm talking about the believer that isolates God from state, or at least has that mindset. How do we do that? Well, we desire to see the Holy Spirit move and move and have influence in the government and all of that. But how does the Holy Spirit work? Holy Spirit works through you. Holy Spirit works through me. And so as we have an election, are we going to see a movement of the Holy Spirit if the church isn't voting? As the church isn't participating in government, are we going to see the influence of the Holy Spirit in that government? This is the believer who does not participate, does not vote, does not recognize any secular authority. Thus, God is not represented in that government through socially active Christians. We've got to enter into the fabric of society. We've got to be out there, and we've got to be part of it, not separating ourselves from that, because nowhere does it say separate, your, it says separate from sin, but not from those people who are sinners. We need to enter in and able to have true influence. Secondly, there is the separation of state from God view, where Caesar alone is the authority and God is kind of placed on the sidelines. In John chapter 19, verse 15, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Thirdly, there is the authority of God and Caesar with Caesar or the government having the, dom the dominant position. This is the nation that places in God we trust on its currency, but doesn't really do it. This is the country that has God engraved in stone in their capital, but chooses to ignore God and is even pushing God out. My wife and I, we were in Washington. I think it was in 2010 that we were in Washington. And it was just amazing to see the scriptures that were written everywhere. And they're hard to get rid of because, as I said, they're written in a lot of the stone that is there. George Washington, his, um, um, his tomb was, was John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. And you see these things and you see where the hearts of these people were. Were they all born-again believers? Probably not back in those original days. But did they bring God into government? Yes, they did. Today, in God we trust, I'm personally shocked that it's still, we're still able to have that upon our currency in this society that we live in today. But really, in God we trust, how do we see that in a government today? Through you. Through you as you trust God and you're obedient to God. Fourthly, there is the authority of God and Caesar with God in the dominant position. This is the biblical position, as I understand the man who is seated upon the, the White House and seated in the White House or wherever it might be, in that authority, that his heart is directed by God. Maybe he doesn't have a heart for God, but God's hand still does direct him and directs his decisions. Now, if in this past election, the person who you did not vote for, if they had won, God still would have been in control. Now, sometimes the punishment that we get, and I'm talking about us, the church, because the only punishment that the world's really going to get is going to be hell. That's because of their unbelief. But as far as us, we get punishment for the purpose of correction. And sometimes the punishment we get is what comes about because we're not active in our government. Or we have an improper biblical perspective of what is right and what is good. And as we have that improper perspective, sometimes our punishment is getting what we think we want. But we need to understand that as we seek God out, God is truly going to bless. God is going to go before us. And sometimes when it seems so dark, the light is about to shine. Now, I look, it seemed to me even a year ago, I'm looking at the election, or at least the people who are going to be running for president, and even really both sides, and I'm thinking, is this the best we've got to offer? 
is this the best and brightest of our nation? And, and I'm looking at, from the Republican perspective, we're never going to be in control again. You know, it just doesn't, you know, it just seems like things are just snowballing and, and going in a direction. The media, you know, as bad as they are and as biased as they are, it just seems like it was going to be hopeless. But then all of a sudden, we've got this huge change. You know, if you're looking at it from the Republican perspective, we control everything. And we just see how quickly things can change. Why? Because God's hand is upon this process. Now, I'm not thinking that all the Republicans are these big God-fearing, this big God-fearing organization, but nonetheless, I do see what that does show me is that God is in control, and if a change is necessary, God is able to bring that change to pass so quickly, so quickly. And so those who are seated in those positions, well, Romans chapter 1, I'll read verse 13 in its entirety, at least this section, verses 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Every authority that exists, God has allowed to be there. We've got to understand that. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. That means they're responsible. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, we're entering into that time, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom are honor. And so you look at this and you say, Pastor Mike, how do you square that with abortion? Just use that, that's a hot topic, obviously, and it should be. How do you square that with abortion? Well, we've yet to enact a law that says you have to have an abortion. Not that I don't think we're maybe heading in that way. And so what I have to do, I have to live that moral Christian life. There's always going to be areas, this isn't heaven, there's always going to be areas that are contrary to God. I need to stand. Now, there's means within our Constitution, there's means within the law and the land that we just saw that God has placed that I can come up against those things. I can do what is necessary in my life to see that those things are changed. And I've got to be active within our government in the capacity to which God has enabled me and called me to do so, so that I see the will of God enacted in this government and we become a land that God will bless. What in the world does it mean anyway to be a land that God blesses? Well, I look at California. I mean, well, I guess maybe the perfect example the inauguration. The inauguration, there was a turn, I think you'd have to agree, and again, I'm not saying Donald Trump is even a Christian, I don't know the man, but you have to agree there just seems to be a changing back to biblical morals. And I'm looking at the inauguration, and I, Franklin Graham had, had pointed this out, it's raining. It wasn't pouring, just a light rain. And Franklin Graham pointed out that in the scriptures, rain is a blessing from God. And I'm just seeing that Maybe we are headed in a good direction here. Maybe there's an opportunity, not for the church to pull back and to see what's going to happen, but the church to move forward. Again, to get busy and to be active. Because, see, that rain, when it comes, we're experiencing it right now, it doesn't just bless the believer, it blesses all. And I want God's blessing to be upon this nation. I want this nation to be strong. I want this nation to be healthy. But most of all, I want this nation to glorify God. Now, again, it's not going to be heaven here on earth. But I just know what God has called us to do. He's called us to go out and preach the gospel. So, Lord, give us the best environment to be able to do that. So that, well, why is America not mentioned in the book of Revelation? Most people say it's because it's been reduced to a third world country. And that's very possible. More than likely probable. I pray, my prayer is, is that the reason it's reduced is because the majority of Americans, the majority of the Americans got raptured. And our population was reduced to such a degree that it reduced this nation. Why would that happen? Because we got busy. We got busy sharing the word. We got busy sharing with people. 
we got busy living the gospel, and it had effect, and it took hold. Wouldn't that be an amazing testimony? The rapture happened tomorrow, and the majority of Americans were raptured. Would that happen today? I don't think so, but I have to conduct my life as if the possibility is there. Doing as much as I'm able to do as we're able to do. Secondly, we're told not only to submit, but also to obey. This is to be proactive in your submission. It's not just saying, okay, we'll just, uh, we'll let it happen, but it's to, it's to accept what, what has happened and to be proactive in the midst of it. This is just not being a bad citizen, but in the midst of it to, to truly be proactive and to be a good citizen, to enter into the government as it is, and again, to have that cleansing effect. There's only one thing, and again, this is important. Really, it, it, this needs, everything that I've said needs to be seasoned with this, and Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. Let me read read this scripture and make it applicable to what we're talking about. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And so the world should see you. They should marvel and understand that you have been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against them. They should be able to say nothing against the good For God, that God has proclaimed to be good, the good that we do. Verse 15, And when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further amongst the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on they speak, No man, speak to no man in this name. So this is a government, if you will, that is coming up against God, coming up against the word of God. Verse 18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. And so if this nation ever comes to that point, and it seems like it will after the rapture of the church, when the Antichrist is revealed, and when the decree is given that it is illegal to preach the word of God, the whole word of God, that's when we're not going to be submitted to the government. That's when our submission to God will supersede the submission to government. Now, you've got to be real careful here because you could so easily put your pet project as something that is sin in a greater degree than what God considers to be sin and then use government or use that as an excuse to not submit to government. God has commanded us to submit to the government but not to a greater degree than we are to submit to God. If the church becomes illegal, if it becomes illegal to gather together as a church, we'll meet in homes. If it's illegal to preach the gospel, we'll still go preach the gospel. And again, we just saw that in Revelation chapter 13, that there's going to be people that are doing these things and they're going to be led captive. The sword, they're going to bring the sword against such people. And the point is that you are to do these things regardless And you will receive the punishment from man, but because of that, you'll receive the glory of God. And so, where's the priority here? We've got to weigh these things out. You've got to weigh these things out in your situation and in your life. I have a job. I'm working for somebody, and we kind of looked at this last week. I made an agreement for a certain wage to do a certain job. And they tell me, you know what, we've heard some complaints about you, of you and your religious views. You're not allowed to speak them there. And so if that is the case, then you're going to have to weigh it out. Is there other ways that I'm able to get around that? Is there other ways I'm able to do that? And if there isn't, and you have to maybe consider, is this a job that God has for me? Can I just work the job and be a good example of a Christian so that when hard time comes, I'm there for them? And so I've got to work all of these things out in my mind. And again, ask God and pray to the Lord. Lord, show me how I'm to be this citizen of this nation, but also this witness for you, and that, Lord, I would not reduce the witness that you've called me to give, but that I would glorify you through, well, because I'm a citizen of the nation. Thirdly, third Christian duty is to be ready for every good work. Once again, we see that in verse 1. 
This is a desire to serve society. I pray that that's what we... We do not do this enough at our church. And responsibility is mine. But we do do it. We got a call once again, the end of uh, summer last year, the local school that we provided for before. They called us and asked for backpacks. And so we go and we buy backpacks and we stuff them with, uh, with school supplies and we go deliver them to a local school. I think we supplied like over 100, maybe it was 150, 200. Do you remember, Sal? It was about 100 backpacks. And we had some left over. They called again and we went and brought over, I think, about 50 more of them. And they're just blessed and they're amazed. And we have that opportunity to be that, that light in the midst of society. Did anybody fall down and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Not that I know, but I do know there's a born-again believer that, are, that, that, that serves in that office there. And there's that opportunity because they see that the things that are coming in are from the church. So there's an opportunity in that. Convalescent services. We just started a church, and I'm working a job, and I'm trying to put studies together, and this convalescent home calls me and says, we'd like for somebody to come up and teach a Bible study. And my first thought is, I'm too busy. How can you be too busy to share the Word of God, especially when you're invited to do so? And so we've had, now there's other men who teach it. Kim, is, Kim Heron is currently teaching it. But we've been a church for 18 years, so about 17 and a half years. We have a Bible study that goes on every Saturday up at the Upland Convalescent Center. It's really another church that we have. It's an offshoot of our church that is, is up there. We've had the opportunity to minister to people that have been forsaken by family and really are at the cusp of death. And so, again, regardless of what's going on in society with the government, we're submissive to the government, we're still able to prevail in the midst of all of that. Um, the parade, we have the 4th of July parade. We just put it on the calendar for this year. We have an opportunity. We usually use our vacation Bible school as the theme for our float. And there's people that are, hey, Calvary Chapel, or hey, VBS. And there's people that are excited to see it. And there's just that opportunity in a subtle way, but in a way to be a witness. There's a city council invocation that I have an opportunity to go before the city council meeting and to read some scripture and to pray. And those things, they can seem so, so small. It can be so insignificant, but God uses the small and the insignificant things to glorify himself. Just look at yourself in the mirror. And so we have that opportunity. I go up and I do the invocation, and when I'm done, amen, I walk away, and people won't even look at me the majority of the time. This last time I prayed for our police department, and one of the policemen came and shook my hand. And you can just see the appreciation that is there. I have an opportunity to share the gospel, a funeral or whatever, especially when it's outside of our church. There's always somebody there nodding, and you can tell they're encouraging you because they're hearing the gospel go out. And there's opportunities. Now, this opportunity is not to say, wow, Mike, you're, you're a great guy. I just happen to be the position, the office of pastor here. The things that we're able to do really are an expression of you guys. If you guys stop giving, then we're not going to be able to reach out. If you guys stop coming, then we're going to go away as a church. The things that we're able to do is an expression of this church that comes together in obedience to God with a desire to see that these things are, 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 are played out within society as we're having that opportunity to be that light. And so we have to be ready for every good and every godly work. Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. What's going to make us stand out from any organization? Our desire to worship God. Because as we have that, we have the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit behind us in all that we do. Fourthly, we are to speak evil of no one. I don't know if that's possible today as we have the social media that we have. But this means to not slander, not curse, and not treat with contempt. If you, tur contempt. If you turn on Fox News, you're going to hear everything that's right. If you turn on CNN, you'll hear everything that's left. In the, but, but no longer do we live in a state that news is, is freely given as far as based upon reality. There's always going to be that slant. And it's even worse than that. And I've seen this come about through talk radio and on these alphabet news shows. There's always what they show is a debate, but really what it is, it's a beatdown. It's a beatdown. 
And, and, and you look at, again, what they call a debate, but you see what the purpose is, is not only to show this person wrong, but to show them a fool, and if, you, and if you're having the advantage in a debate, is just to destroy this person. And see, what that has done is, that has caused this raging to go on where people think that they're able to slander other people. They're able to treat them with contempt. They're able to cur- you know, and just destroy people well, what is that? Where's the room for the Word of God in that when the church starts doing this? Where's the room for the gospel? Because really what happens now when you start hearing the beginning of these things, you close yourself off and you seek to protect yourself, and people are building walls nowadays. And as they build walls, it's going to hinder the gospel from going out. I want to meet people where they're at to be able to enter in, not participate in their sin, but to meet the sinner where he is at in order to share the solution for his sin, his is hopelessness. And so ranting and raving and verbal abuse, it doesn't help anybody at all. If you want to talk to somebody about a situation that is overwhelmed, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Speak to God. If you don't like the government, speak to God. Speak to God. Pray for the governing authority. Prayer is able to do, well, it's able to cover so much. It's able to achieve the will of God. How does it work? It doesn't move the hand of God, but it puts me in the same place that I will have a confidence that I'm in the will of God. Fifthly, we are to be peaceable. Verse 2, this is to be friendly and gracious towards the lost rather than quarrelsome and belligerent. We are not to be bombing abortion clinics. We are not to be threatening the homosexual. We are not to be hostile towards the pornographer or anybody else. These people are all sinners and they're contrary to the word of God, but such were some of you. We were all in that same boat. There's a bigger list in 1 Corinthians. But we were all fit in there somewhere. But somebody, because they had the love of Christ, they came and they spoke to us rather than condemning us. And that opened the door for the gospel within our hearts. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. No, we are to go in the midst of them. The people he was talking about were the people who were practicing those sins within the body of Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Again, love covers a multitude of sins. It's the love, sacrificial love that I express that has the opportunity for the gospel that will do away with their sins. Sixthly, we are to be gentle, verse 2. This is to be moderate, fair, and even heal. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you are somebody under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that gentle spirit will prevail. Now, just look at the society that we have today. It's anything but gentle. We're looking at these riots going on all over the place. But what happens is I exercise my spiritual gifting in a gentle manner. That's going to stand out. That's going to mean something to people. That's going to open doors. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Verse 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. When you face those who are contrary to those things, just remember their motivation, because in the world you were exactly the same way. But then there was that changing point in the midst of your life. But when, verse 4, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy... He saved us. He saved us. God entered in when you were least expecting it. God entered in when you were of the world and immersed in the world. Think of where you were before you were born again. Some of us, the world may have considered to be good people. I would imagine a lot of us, especially with the things that you know and maybe the things that you hid from other people, you know those deep, dark secrets? God knew them. God was well aware of them, and he entered in to your heart, and he saved you. And now he sees us all as his children. I've got seven grandchildren right now. Some of them, 
I don't want to say are better than the others. Some of them are more obedient than the others. Some of them had done better things than the others. Some of them are Seth, and some of them are everybody else, and they can be a handful. <laughs> but I love them all the same. I love them all the same. There's none that I, I, I exalt over the others. And it's the same thing within the body of Christ. God loves us all the same, regardless of what you have done. He has cast the east from the sins as far as the east is from the west. He now looks at you just as, he knows you have, but he looks at you just as if you have never sinned. And there's more people that he's wanting into the kingdom of heaven. And unfortunately, we as the church, we've got rules. See, God's got his 10 commandments, and sometimes as the church, we can have our 20 commandments. We, we can have our little list of what's going to qualify somebody to be part of a church or part of the kingdom of heaven, but that's not what God desires. God desires for all men to be saved. How are we able to enter into that? If we're spending all of our time ranting and raving, we're just wasting precious time that God has given us. But if we're dedicated to the Lord under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're going to see God do great things even through your humble life. Consider that because that's how you came into the kingdom of heaven. Somebody opened their mouth and shared the gospel with you and you were saved. Open your mouth, share the gospel with somebody, and you'll see salvation. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, and we just pray, Father, that you would just, Lord, have it sink deep down within our hearts. May we see the reality of it and how it fits into our society, even into the government that we have. And, Lord, as things get better according to our definition or worse, it doesn't matter because, Lord, you're able to overcome all. And so, Father, I pray for the people in this room that you would fill us with your spirit, and that, Father, we would glorify you in all that we do. And we have an opportunity here even today, this day of the Super Bowl. There's going to be so many people that are entering into the living rooms of unsaved friends, unsaved families. Father, I, I pray that we would not get carried away with what's going on on a TV screen. But, Father, we would be under the influence of your Spirit that, Father, we would be the witness that you have called us to be. And so, Father, once again, we just lift up this church, God, that it would be a mighty tool in your hand, that, Father, you would truly use it for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?